Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. California is seeing the fastest two-week rise in COVID cases since the pandemic started. Five of nine Bay Area counties have slid back into the most restrictive state mandates. That's the purple tier for those of you following the colors. And that ain't good. He's always said that we would have a second wave, or some people are even calling this like a third wave. We know what causes the spread of COVID and what can make it worse. I'm looking at you, Thanksgiving. Today, we're going to talk about where we stand heading into the holiday season and some of the decisions that Governor Newsom has made. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to The Bay. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Governor Newsom said he is pooling the emergency break. Katie Orr is a reporter with KQED's Politics and Government Desk. What he means by that is that they are putting more of the state's counties into the most restrictive tier that we have, the known as the purple tier, which severely limits non-essential indoor activities. Uh, we have counties now that we are moving back based on that blueprint, based upon the emergency break, based upon the protocols that we put into place. In the Bay Area, you have Marin, San Francisco, and San Mateo in the red tier, and the rest of the Bay Area counties in the more restrictive purple tier. He's also mandating that people wear masks whenever they leave their house. Um, And he and his health advisors are suggesting that you do not leave the state or have visitors from outside the state come be your guests. Uh, And they say if you do go ahead and either leave the state or host out-of-state visitors, that you need to quarantine for two weeks. If possible, stay local. 
that keeps the level of transmission and the fact that some communities have higher than uh, others. On Monday, uh, Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Mark Galley joined Governor Gavin Newsom at the uh, COVID-19 press conference. So why are we today sounding this uh, alarm using our emergency break? Because we must keep transmission low. Is there anything different about what we know in terms of who's getting COVID right now? I mean, right now they're alarmed because it is across the whole state. Uh, Newsom said that we are seeing cases rise across genders, across ages, across locations. It's not specific counties anymore. It's across the state. Daily cases, though, in the state of California have doubled just in the last 10 days. This is simply the fastest increase California has seen since the beginning of this pandemic. That's one of the reasons they're cracking down now, because while hospitals are not yet overrun, they're concerned that if they don't really hammer home this message that you need to stop gathering, that hospitals will become overrun. In fact, uh, Newsom mentioned back in the summer when we had seen another spike, uh, his administration had set up basically field hospitals in different parts of the state. For instance, here in Sacramento, the old Kings Arena, where the the basketball team used to play, they transformed that into a, a kind of field hospital. It wasn't really used, but he said they're in a mode now where they can be up and running in a day if they need to, because they are that concerned about the virus spreading. I know you've covered a lot of press conferences related to the pandemic, and uh, you know I know that we've been paying very close attention to the announcements that the governor makes and also just the fluctuation on any given day uh, in terms of COVID cases. But did this news surprise you at all? You know, the thing that really surprised me about this news was the fact that Newsom said he's considering not yet implementing, but considering some kind of curfew for the state. Now, before you jump in terms of your mindset and whether that's a good idea or bad idea, uh, we are assessing that as well. I don't remember, certainly not in the time that I've been covering California politics, when we've ever had a curfew for anything outside of like um, a protest or something like that. Um, And you know, what form that curfew might take, we don't know. We have a lot of questions about what that looks like, what that doesn't look like. Who does it impact? Who doesn't it impact? Uh, what does a real curfew mean in terms of just certain kinds They're of already getting pushback for simply mandating that people wear masks. So if they went ahead and put any kind of curfew in place, I, some people would lose their minds. <laughs> I feel like there's been a lot of starts and stops in terms of reopening. Is this the strictest that the restrictions have been since the pandemic? Yes. I mean, I think in the beginning, there were counties that were operating under strict guidelines like we are now. I think what's different about this is there are just so many that are in the most strict tier. And I think as to your point, people are tired. We had a big spike in July of cases, but then things started loosening up a little bit. You know, I know here in Sacramento, like 
gyms opened. There was a, a brief campaign from the county government to be orange by Halloween, meaning, you know, in one of the less restrictive tiers by Halloween. And I'll just tell you personally, it's tough. My parents live in San Diego. None of us kids live there. They haven't seen their grandkids and they are, you know, it's hard, but it's just, uh, no, it's really it's hard. Just, it's hard. It's hard to, you don't want to risk it, especially with news of a possible vaccine coming out around the corner, you know, yeah. it's like we've made it this far. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to mess it up. It's now been almost eight months to the day since the first statewide shelter-in-place order. So much has happened since then, and all the while people have been getting sick from this virus, some way more than others, with not a lot of help from the federal government. There also hasn't been leadership from the president, which means it's been up to governors in all 50 states to provide clarity to what's going on. And for the most part, Governor Newsom's been on it, oftentimes in the form of regular press briefings. You've been covering the pandemic for a while now, as a, as a lot of reporters have been. When you think about the first press conferences back in March, how did Governor Gavin Newsom's responses compare to other leaders across other states at the time? I think that Governor Newsom has always been um, focused on like the science. And I do think he's always been very aware that we have a massive population in the state, almost 40 million people. And that even though at the time, the virus didn't seem to be I won't say as serious, but I think people just didn't know what to expect. Uh, I think, though, that he has always had it in his mind that this could be really bad for the state. When you think about how people were viewing California and Governor Newsom at the time, how would you characterize, uh, you know, Newsom's role? I think he was viewed very favorably at the time. California, which imposed lockdown orders nearly a week before New York, suffered a fraction of New York's death toll. While nearly 29,000 New Yorkers have died from the coronavirus, the death toll in California is just under 4,000. For a while, you know, once they got out the message to flatten the curve, it seemed like people in California really got on board. Uh, cases did go down. And, you know, I remember seeing headlines like how California avoided a huge disaster, those kinds of things. And Newsom got a lot of credit for that. You've been getting a lot of praise for shutting things down quickly in your state and doing your best to get ahead of the spread. So what is your biggest concern right now when it comes to fighting this virus? Well, that we run the 90-yard dash, that people get complacent, that people get cabin fever, that uh, people... You know, uh, the metaphor in this case. So I think that's where he started. And of course, now, as cases have gone back up, as he always said that they would, he's always said that we would have a second wave or some people are even calling this like a third wave. But they they always said that this will come back in the winter and to not let your guard down. Um, but I think now that it is surging and California isn't like the quote unquote success story that it was a few months ago you know, he might be seen in a little bit of a different light. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into how the virus spreads over time. It's not all just about, you know, what Governor Gavin Newsom says, but how much do you think what he says as the governor of California 
matters during this pandemic? Well, I think it matters a lot because in a time like this, people naturally look to their leaders um, for advice and for guidance on how they should act. And his message gets filtered down to county and city officials who amplify it. And so what he says at the top resonates down through the chain of government. Um, And it matters. And that is why I think we saw recently when he went to a birthday party at uh, the French Laundry restaurant in Napa, which is very expensive and exclusive, um, and that the party perhaps violated some of the guidelines that his administration set, he got, what's the right word? He got a lot of (laughs) crap for it. Yeah. And, and, and as the leader of, of the state that's supposed to have all the answers, you know, not not that it does, but I'm, I'm saying like right. that that goes a long way. Right. Like I, I was texting with a friend yesterday about how upset he was that that came out. And this is somebody who's on the fence about wearing a mask like that means something. Exactly. Is it true that you asked him about this in the latest press conference? I did. Katie Orr, KQED. Hi, Governor. Um, I realize you have apologized for attending uh, the birthday celebration at the French Laundry, and you, you know, you say that you made a bad mistake. But are you worried that, given that people are going to take the advice that you're giving them today less seriously? I mean, are you worried that your actions have made it less likely people will? you as a moral authority on COVID. Yeah, I am. So that's why you have to own it and you have to be forthright and doing my best every single day and trying to model uh, better behavior. He knows what the optics are. He's been a politician for a long time. And, you know, to his credit, he got up there before reporters could even ask him and apologized. He said he shouldn't have gone to this uh, to this party. It was a mistake. And the second he realized that there were more people there than he had thought were going to be there, he should have got up and left. And so I made one mistake. I should have just gotten up uh, from this table because there were a few extra people than should have been um, and left. And so you own that, you move on, uh, and you continue to do the work that you were sent here to do. You mentioned uh, Governor Newsom is kind of like bases his decisions on data and with health officials uh, weighing in. But as somebody who's covered these press conferences for a while, what have you learned about how Newsom and other state leaders make decisions about things like red and purple tiers and about reopening? I think it's complicated. I mean, there is no doubt that science plays a big factor in in the decisions that they make. They do not want to be accused of like letting the Bay Area open back up when the science doesn't back it up. Mm -hmm. But I think you are also seeing politics at work. I mean, he's a politician. California is a massive state. Of course, there are going to be politics at play. Certain groups who have interest in whether or not like schools reopen or businesses reopen Mm -hmm. or what kinds of businesses reopen, 
you can be sure they are trying to get the governor's ear and explain to him exactly why their particular, you know, sector should or should not be allowed to open. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, restaurants, you could make the argument that restaurants should never have been allowed to open in any capacity. It's people sitting down and talking to each other, you know, in a, in a closed space. But um, restaurants are also huge uh, drivers of the economy and they employ a lot of people. And so, you know, you can be sure that there were lobbyists, advocates for restaurants calling up Newsom's office and saying, hey, we are important. So it would be fascinating to see who was able to like get get a meeting <laughs> and yeah. like, you know, what that resulted in. Do you have any advice for people who aren't reporters, but maybe watch the governor's press conferences every so often? I think what viewers of these press conferences have to keep in mind is California is largely at the mercy of the federal government and the vaccine makers. I mean, we can do, the state can take steps to mitigate the spread, but the vaccine is the way that we really uh, get out of this. And outside of distributing who gets the vaccine within California, there's not too much more that we can do except kind of tread water. Of course, so much about the COVID-19 pandemic is unprecedented, and so are the demands on state and local leaders. Another thing the governor will have to deal with is how to distribute the vaccine equitably when one's ready. That includes to folks who are experiencing homelessness and those who are incarcerated. Thanks to Katie Orr, who reports for KQED's Politics and Government Desk. This episode was produced by Erica Cruz Guevara, Kiana Mogadam, myself, and our editor, Alan Montesilio. We're made by your local public media station, KQED. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it from us. Talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.